Well, welcome in off an exciting unified heavyweight title win by Alexander Usyk. The setting changed. The result did not. He once again defeats Anthony Joshua by decision, retaining his titles. We're ready to recap that and everything else off the weekend. You have found the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. I am merely TJ Reeves. We bow. We bow to the guru and the greatness in the prognostication world, at least anyway, of Dan Rayfield, our insider uh, from the Fight Freaks Unite uh, Substack, as well as the Big Fight Weekend website. Good to be back with you. Lots to get to, as we kept saying, from Saudi Arabia to San Diego and even Miami in between. Lots to cover, lots to recap. How are we doing off the weekend, sir? Hey, it was a great weekend, TJ. If you like boxing, this was a good weekend for you. You had a nice heavyweight title fight, which was, by the way, an excellent fight. Yep. Uh, we'll talk about it. The co-feature with Hergovich against uh, Zong was a tremendous battle. Had some other good fights on that card as well. Great knockout from Callum Smith. A good performance, exciting fight from Badu Jack. And then the other fights were good, too. You know, Navarrete with an exciting knockout. We'll get to that. And the top-ranked show, the co-feature with Luna. Tremendous mm. battle uh, against Santion. And then, of course, the Showtime, four fights. You know, but we're going to get to all of this. You know, your, your boy Brandon Lee getting knocked down for the first time. And some that? other good, Some other good, exciting action. Uh, um you know, it was kind of just what the doctor ordered. As we wind down the summer, we had a very good, solid weekend. That's exactly right. And whether it was uh, Sky Sports slash DAZN or whether it was Showtime Championship Boxing or the top-ranked ESPN show, you had a lot to choose from. So, again, we're always here in the recap mode coming off the weekend. Easiest way to get us is to follow or subscribe on this feed. The Big Fight Weekend podcast feed has the Fight Freaks Unite recap. Follow or subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You get it automatically. Usually out late Sunday night, out for Monday morning, recapping uh, the weekend. So uh, we will say to the audience, as the football season gets underway, full disclosure, Dan knows this, but I explain this because we got audience worldwide. I work for the American football team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I am confirming on this Sunday night, I don't have the info on Tom Brady. Dan didn't ask me that. I'm just putting that out there for the audience. But anyway, my Sundays are about to get crazier, as Dan knows. But we'll do our best to have this out at some point Monday, Monday early, Monday by midday, a recap off the weekend. Just hang in there for us. But you can you can depend on us on Monday. I'm not guaranteeing win on Monday all the time, but it will be here Sunday night or Monday morning, Monday afternoon, whatever it is. Uh, and all you got to do is follow or subscribe and you'll get the automatic notification, the light, the ding, the vibrate that, hey, there's a new one. You've got it on your phone, on your iPad, uh, whatever. All right, little news and then into the recaps. News on Sunday afternoon from the World Boxing Association, the WBA. It involves our light heavyweight champion, Dmitry Bivol. It involves his mandatory challenger uh, for the Russian, uh, Gilberto Zerto Ramirez. Dan, fill us in on what's up and when are these guys fighting? Go ahead. Well, as everybody knows who follows this thing, is that uh, Dimitri Bivol has the light heavyweight title. He retained that title in a, in a big win against Canelo Alvarez. And next up was supposed to be a mandatory fight against Gilberto Zerto Ramirez, the undefeated Mexican, Southpaw, former super middleweight WBO champion. Uh, his team was trying to do some other fight. Matchroom Boxing is his co-promoter. They were looking to match him with uh, Joshua Buazzi, who is like the number two contender behind Ramirez and the Golden Boy team and Ramirez are like, no, 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 no. You, we're the mandatory. We won two eliminators in a row, both by knockout in recent times, and we want our shot. We're not stepping aside. The WBA had already ordered the fight. Uh, they did not want them to approve the exception to the mandatory. And the WBA, uh, to their credit, did the right thing by saying, sorry, Dimitri Bivol, no dice. Either uh, fight 
Zerto Ramirez, or, you know, you can go about your merry way without our championship belt. And so they decided they would do that. And then the purse bid was scheduled for Sunday afternoon, Golden Boy and Eddie Hearn from Matchroom. They came to an agreement and the purse bid was canceled. And we are going to get ourselves one heck of a light heavyweight title fight November 5th on DAZN. Uh, the one surprising aspect is it will take place in Abu Dhabi in the Middle East, which is the capital city of the United Arab Emirates, uh, where, you know, that country has hosted some, uh, you know, pretty solid fights over the last few years. And uh, this will be one of those fights They have some kind of uh, folks there that are putting up some money. Give me some um, insight on that point, because Ramirez is obviously a, a big star, Mexican, American, California, Western star. Bevel is fought in the United States. He fought Canelo in Las Vegas. Why, why would that not be in the U.S., Los Angeles, Las Vegas? Oh, very easy. Because, is it just uh, big money to go there I mean, and that's it? Yeah. The end? I mean, I don't know what the exact dollar figure is, but there's money because otherwise, as you mentioned, Bebo has been fighting primarily in America. Uh, Zerto has uh, been fighting in, in, in uh, California and Las Vegas for, for years. And, and uh, they wouldn't be going over there if there wasn't a reason. They have uh, the matchroom folks have some kind of, some kind of money uh, folks putting up uh, to make the event. And actually, if you're a fan, and you're not going to be attending and buying a ticket. It really doesn't make a difference where, where the fight is. So here's the point, though. November 5th is going to be a great day for boxing on DAZN uh, because you have the Zerto ramirez Bivol fight, which is going to be on most likely in the same time frame which we got the Usyk-Joshua fight in that late afternoon, early evening time. And then later in the evening, more in prime time, Golden Boy has their card, uh, uh, which will be in the U.S. The site's not determined yet, but it will be in the United States. And that will be uh, the very, very uh, interesting fight, main event between Joseph Diaz Jr., Jojo Diaz, and William Zapata, a fight that was announced uh, about a week or so ago. So that's uh, uh, two cards on the same day, both with interesting main events. And, uh, you know, again, if I'm you're not buying saying, a ticket, do we have what's any the idea? I don't mean to interrupt, but do we have any idea? Is that going to be in LA? Is that going to be in Las Vegas? That one? What do we hear? What do we speculate? When I was, uh, when I was uh, uh, talking to Golden Boy earlier on Sunday, as I was writing a piece about the deal that was made for the Bebo uh, Zerto fight, I actually asked that. And they said they, they're in the process of trying to lock something down, but there was nothing definite yet. Why, One could why assume, would they not? I'm just, again, I'm playing amateur matchmaker, amateur network executive. Why would they not get together and put both of those on a same card on a huge venue and blow it out and have big money if Oscar's already doing a show and Ramirez is Oscar's fighter? That just to well, me, go it's ahead. It's pretty easy. It's pretty easy, TJ. Golden Boy is going to do Diaz versus Zapata. That's their own event, mm -hmm. their own show, their own licensee from the zone, their own gate, their own sponsors, etc. That will take place in America. And the Bivol fight against Zerto will be a matchroom promotion in association with Golden Boy. And they have money in the Middle East. And so they get two bites of the apple. They both get their money from both two different shows. That's simple as that. All right. It is ain't rocket science. Good enough. Uh, good enough on that. But, and, but yeah, if you but, subscribe to the zone, you get both shows as sure. part of your package. Probably. I mean, they haven't announced the particulars on the Zerto fight, but that ain't going to be a pay per view. So you you know, watch one in the late afternoon, one in the evening, and we'll have a nice we'll have a nice weekend. Uh, November fifth. All right. So that news coming out on Sunday off the weekend. Very and, good uh, fight, by the way. And, Very and good. By fight. the way, again, I, I keep using this word dangerous. Dan is always dangerous. This is dangerous for Bivol. Because he's got the golden ticket rematch looming at some point in 2023 with Canelo. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy that. If he loses to Zerto, some of the luster is off the Canelo fight. If but I loses. don't, I do not subscribe to the notion that Canelo is definitely going to go for the rematch. Okay. So if there, if he's not willing to do the fight, and he nor does he have to do the fight, there's no like dire need for the fight. Not every guy in boxing who loses a boxing match goes and has a rematch. 
he'll he'll be doing other things. You know, he can but he possibly invoked go the back. clause, right? Canelo? No, he, he didn't invoke he did the not. clause. Okay. All right. So, so I mean, maybe he had the option to, to bypass it. Sometimes rematch clauses are written in a way in which you can have a one fight in between. I mean, there's lots of ways right. to skin the cat. I don't have a copy of the contract. If you're out there watching, you have one, send it to me. Uh, <laughs> but here's the point, though. If you're if you're Canelo and you beat Gennady Golovkin, your two-fight commitment to Eddie is over. There is an option, I believe, that Canelo's uh, his decision to do a third fight under that agreement. And what would prevent him from going back to what he was thinking about previously, which is go back to perhaps PBC and Showtime, and now you've got some big name opponents to, to go on pay-per-view with. You can still do a fight with Charlo. You can still do a fight with David Benavides. There's mm-hmm. still attractive fights that could take right. him through next year. He doesn't, TJ, what do I always say? Rocky two, uh, Rocky two. We don't need this man in our life. Canelo Alvarez does not need Dimitri Bivol. He's in his all life. wrong for us, baby. Exactly. Thank you. So maybe uh, I'm not saying he won't do it, but I'm saying he's going to have options. Good enough. All right. Now let's get into the recaps. And obviously we begin with Alexander Usyk. He is the story and what a story out of war-torn Ukraine. He gets another decision win, this time by split decision, over Anthony Joshua in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. This was late Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, Saturday evening, U.S. time. He gets the victory. All right, full disclosure to the audience. We're always honest with the audience. I was obviously working Tampa Bay Buccaneers preseason football with the Tennessee Titans in Nashville. So live, I did not get to see more than about a half of a round of this because of my work duties and the timing. So automatically, this is just for me, Dan Rayfield, it biases me. It taints me because now I've seen what happened. I've seen the results. I've read your recap. It's not the same for me. You saw it live. You have better insight anyway, but I want to join in a little bit, but I'm just putting that out there to the audience. I'm tainted because I watched it after the fact, already knowing what had happened and already knowing a lot of the takes of what had happened. What's your take on what happened and the decision and everything about it? Go. I thought that it was a terrific fight. I thought both Usyk and Joshua fought excellent fights. You know, people are going to dump on Joshua because now he's lost two fights in a row. But if you ask me, I thought Joshua fought far, far better than he did the first time when he fought Usyk and lost last September. Uh, he didn't win this fight. The, the scoring was perfectly legit. Uh, just to remind the, the, the folks who are listening in, 116-112, 115-113 for Usyk, 115-113 for Joshua. Most people, myself included, found the 115-113 card from Glenn Feldman, typically a very good judge, by the way, who I've actually known for many years. So that that scorecard, I believe, was off base. Uh, maybe Glenn will rewatch it and, and uh, realize that it wasn't his best scorecard of all time. Uh, but it was close, and the first eight rounds were highly competitive, uh, but, but Usyk seemed to be in charge, uh, not by a wide margin, but it was a, a high-class, high-level fight uh, with good action and good skills from both guys. I thought Robert Garcia in his first fight with Joshua did a hell of a job, uh, not enough to beat Usyk, but there's nobody in boxing really, maybe Fury if they fight, that can beat Usyk right now. And um, again, if you if you were watching that on DAZN, if you were living in the UK and bought the pay-per-view, you definitely got your money's worth because it was a hell of a main event. The undercard was good all the way through for the most part. Uh, you know, it was just a, uh, it, w- it was a night that boxing can be proud of. They put on a great show. And uh, Usyk uh, got the win. He's, I thought he was a Hall of Famer before this fight. He's locked it up now, I mean, to defend the title like that. And, uh, you know, I, Anthony Joshua, is going to have some soul-searching to do, uh, you know, in the post-fight. 
uh, Eddie Hearn was talking about now that he's free of obligations and the pressure of the titles and all the craziness. You know what? Let's just go back, do a regular fight, have him back out probably in December if he's up to it and uh, let him start anew because Anthony Joshua, despite the loss, is still one of the going to be one of the more popular, marketable and outstanding heavyweights in boxing. And Usyk, you know, what can you say? He's an elite pound for pound guy. He's got an argument uh, to be number one on the pound for pound list. Uh, there will be some people that will place him in that position. I don't personally necessarily agree with that, but that's fine. Uh, I think he's a tremendous, tremendous, you know, generational kind of talent between his amateur career, what he did as a cruiserweight, what he's doing presently as a heavyweight. Uh, and it was just a, you know, it was, it was a great fight. All right. So I have a couple of thoughts. You give us a lot of meat on the bone uh, there. Again, I have watched this back. One of the things that struck me was how well Usyk once again took a punch, including punches to the body. Very good. And point. let's get to the dramatic moments where in the ninth round, he was <clears throat> buckled by some body shots and some really great work by Joshua. And then he turned it on in the 10th. It did not continue for Joshua momentum wise in the 10th. And Usyk won the 11th and the 12th on all the judges' cards, and that's what won him won him the fight. How surprised were you that Joshua could not capitalize uh, on, on what had been maybe his best round up until that point of any of the rounds of the first fight or the second fight, and he couldn't capitalize, Dan? What about it? I really thought that in the ninth round, he was literally within a couple of punches of getting the knockout. Uh, that's how bad Usyk was in trouble. And, and not only that, even if he wasn't in trouble, uh, the referee – I think thought he was in trouble and was looking awfully close. Uh, and uh, Luis Pabon, who was the referee of the fight, has obviously been a world-class referee for a long, long time. Um, Joshua was very, very close to getting the stoppage. And Usyk, he's got a great chin. He's got great resolve. He's got tremendous uh, desire. And he was able to persevere. And he made it through the round. And as you mentioned, you know, whatever you thought might have occurred in round nine, that Joshua had him close to a stoppage, and maybe he's going to jump all over him in the beginning of the 10th to try to finish the job. Uh, you know, Usyk came out and turned it completely around. And as big of a round as AJ had in round nine, Usyk had just as big of a round, if not bigger, in round 10 and did a lot of damage. Same in round 11, not quite as bad, and then a little bit less in round 12. You mentioned that all three judges scored the, uh, 10, 11, and 12 for Joshua, uh, for Usyk, rather. In actuality, two of the judges scored all three rounds for Usyk. The 12th round, he won on two scorecards, and he lost on the third scorecard. But he was able to turn, uh, you know, what had been up to that point, a pretty close fight right. into, you know, the obvious victory, uh, you know, because if you, if you go by the notion that those early rounds were highly competitive and maybe you gave him a couple of those rounds, but the, but if you look at the way that the scoring was done, you know, it was, he, he was ahead on obviously on the Feldman card. That was the one that had him winning. He was only up one point, on one scorecard going in uh, to the 10th round. And he was down one point on another scorecard going into the 10th round. So by Usyk winning 10, 11, and 12 on, on two of the scorecards yep. and, and on two of the three scorecards in the 12th round, that gave him uh, what turned out to be the margin of victory. And, uh, you know, I know AJ, I saw a video of him in the post fight. You know, he had a, a, he got emotional. Obviously, if you watch the fight, you saw him have a little bit of a breakdown sort of when he came back. He left the ring right away, came back and kind of did a thing on the microphone where he was almost like a Which WWE. We'll get into that. We'll get into that yeah. in a second. Yeah. But, but, he, but, he, but he, he, you know, he apologized for that. I understand where he was coming from. I hope people don't take it out on him too much. Give him a break of what was going on. Um, you know, he's being exposed to the world in his worst moment. And uh, ultimately, 
he recognized that he, you know, and he, he wrote on his, on his uh, social media that, you know, we apologize for that. He gave Usyk all the credit in the world. He got a little emotional at the post-fight press conference. He's got nothing to be ashamed of. He lost to a pound for pound. Great. A guy that's going to be in the hall of fame and you didn't get knocked out and you were competitive. Uh, even in the first fight where he lost, he didn't lose 12 rounds and nothing. He probably won like three or four rounds and, you know, had a couple of moments. So he just, uh, you know, as they say, styles make fights and, you know, Alexander Usyk is the wrong style for basically everybody. Well, he was he was really good, and he should be the story again coming out of a war-torn situation where there was so much uncertainty on whether this fight would happen. He was focused. He was really good. He took Joshua's best shots. He fired back. Usyk deserves much of the credit. I thought it was bizarre. Again, it was almost upstaging Usyk uh, on the mic with all of that, and Eddie Hearn let that go on, and others let that go on. So that was very weird um, because, again, it's the champion's moment. He won the fight while Joshua was parading around. I understand the emotion and letting out the tears and, and all of that, and it's been, it's been a lot of pressure on him. I think there are critics, and they're rightfully so, that are saying he has made a crap load of money, especially off these last two fights, to be comfortable enough that, that how much pressure are you really under as long as you have well, your health with that you know kind what, of though, money? TJ, so. I, I mean, I'm not saying I loved what he did, okay? But I, I'm, I'm not that upset because it shows that this man cares. He's not just yeah. there for the paycheck. I agree. I mean, and by the way, Usyk and Joshua, uh, by estimates, by, by things I have heard and others have heard, they both shared and they both made about $40 million a piece the other night. So, you know, as Mayweather always likes to say, when you're making that much money, there ain't no losers. Right, right. But, but the point is, when you make that much money, and that's for one fight, Anthony Joshua has made well in excess of nine figures in his career. He's probably close to, you know, maybe maybe getting over that he's, two, three hundred million. He, yeah, he's easily made two hundred million dollars no by now. Yes. But when you oh. get to that point and you and you're making that money, you know, it's good that you're still like you can't buy the title, is the point. You can right. buy a lot of stuff. And he's got more money that he needs for the rest of his life for his for his, you know, generations of Joshua's to come. Uh, but you can't buy the title, and it shows the commitment and how much he put into this and how much he cares because it hurt that bad. And that's the same with lots of pro athletes. You're around football players when they lose in the, in the playoffs or the Super Bowl. These are highly paid athletes. Their they legacy, cry. They're upset. Their legacy. I've seen it in, in baseball and basketball. Mm -hmm. You know, they care. And, that you know, you know, it's all it's a business. But at the end of the day, these guys play because they have competitive spirit. And it's the same reason why these guys at the top level continue to fight. Joshua is a you know, he wants to win. And I'm glad that when these guys lose that that type of fight, it hurts because it shows me as a fan that they're not just going through the motions. They really, really have a deep commitment and a care for what the outcome of their events are. Love Dan Rayfield's insight. We're going to move on to the rest of this card in just a second. And then we're also talking about uh, the Navarrete win on the ESPN top rank card, as well as the Showtime card uh, coming up. A couple of more points um, on this. And again, he congratulated Usyk in the ring on the PA mic. So I, I get that as well. It's still, it was, it was Usyk's, uh, moment. Usyk said after it was over with, hey, the next fight is the Tyson Fury fight. That's the one I want, or, or basically I'm not fighting, paraphrasing through the interpreter. Yep. That's, that's what, what he, he wants. All right, so Fury has made it clear to no one's surprise. That's what he wants to do. So that let's hope that that one um, uh, can come about. Uh, theorize <laughs> for me here. That's a much bigger, much more skilled, I think, aggressive uh, Tyson Fury uh, there's going to be a real problem for Usyk here, is it not? Whenever that, that that's happens, the, yeah. that's that's the one matchup that you mm -hmm. can very much envision 
another heavyweight taking Usyk apart. And the reason is because as brilliant of a boxer and as a fighter as Alexander Usyk is, at the end of the day, weight classes were created for a reason because size does matter. Now, mm -hmm. on the fringes, maybe not. If you're a great small guy against a regular big guy, it doesn't matter. So when Roy Jones goes up to weight classes and just shreds John Ruiz, you know, Roy Jones was the pound for pound number one. And John Ruiz was like, you know, maybe like the fourth or fifth best heavyweight. And so it's a great smaller guy against just, you know, a very good bigger guy. In the case of Usyk against Fury, if it does come to pass, you're talking about a great small guy against a great big guy. And Tyson Fury's got the size. Tyson Fury's got power. Tyson Fury's got good skills. He's got fast feet. Uh, he's hard to reach because he's so big. Um, even though he's been dropped several times, it's not like he's ever been knocked out cold. So, you know, you got to figure he's got the heart and the ability to take the shot. And if he does get dropped to get up, but Usyk's never been a big puncher, even as a cruiserweight. Right. My point is that's another kettle of fish altogether. If you're Alexander Usyk, but I listen, it's the, there was no, they're the last two standing. Deontay Wilder has been beaten decisively. Anthony right. Joshua has been beaten decisively. You have other fighters out there that, that maybe had a, a, a chance to do something in the weight class, you know, even like Andy Ruiz couldn't hang on to the title. You've had other fighters that have come along, you know, maybe Joe Joyce will emerge. He hasn't had a shot yet. Joseph Parker has been beaten. You can go on down the list. Uh, King Kong Ortiz has been beaten. All these guys that were good contenders have been beaten. Uh, the last men standing right now of this time frame in boxing are, you know, the undefeated Usyk, two division champ, Olympic gold medalist, and Tyson Fury, uh, the undefeated champion of the world. Uh, claims he's retired, but we all know that he's full of shit. And at the end of the day, um, if you talk to his people, it's a, you know, maybe commercially and for fan interest, had Joshua won, you know, obviously Fury against Joshua was a bigger fight. Uh, you know, who, that's no denying that. Okay, fair enough. Joshua was a much bigger star. And as great of a fighter as Usyk is, he's really a non-entity in terms of the promotion. He's got a great story to tell, but he doesn't want to tell it. It's his prerogative. He's not that great with the press, even though language he's got a barrier, language, yeah, barrier. language barrier, but that language barrier doesn't matter because I've covered a million guys that don't speak English first language and they've been great to cover. Um, guys like Tito Trinidad had immense popularity, even though they didn't speak English. Chavez had a huge popularity without speaking English. Triple G, you know, very broken English mm -hmm. has become a big star in boxing. You don't have to speak English to resonate Canelo. with the, Canelo. Canelo's, Canelo, though, to his credit, over the last few fights, now he speaks English as well as, uh, you know, uh, as, as well as any, you know, Spanish speaking fighter that, that's taken on English as their second language. My point is, though, the language barrier is is not it's 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 only a problem if the fighter allows it to be a problem, because I've been covering boxing a long time and guys who speak other languages, you get yourself a good translator and it's, uh, you know, and you're willing to talk uh, and answer questions that, you know, you can make great stories and. And, and, and let the fans and the, and the public get to know you. But here's the thing about Joshua Fury. With the Joshua losing and now the obvious fight for the undisputed and for the biggest fight in the division and one of the biggest fights in the sport is Tyson Fury against Alexander Usyk. And the main thing is this. Everybody associated with that fight on either side will tell you it's a lot easier deal to construct between uh, Tyson Fury and Usyk than it would be if it had been Tyson Fury against Anthony Joshua because Tyson Fury is with top rank and Frank Warren and Joshua was with Eddie Hearn and the zone. Uh, uh, that was his last fight on sky sports. And that was not part of the contract. That was just because the Saudis sold him the rights. He's now under contract in the zone going forward. In the case of Alexander Usyk, by my understanding, he is a free agent. You know, he had been with Eddie Hearn, but now he's no longer. So basically they're dealing with, yep. uh, 
you know, Alex Krasiak from K2, but they don't have a lot of other fighters. So that's not, not a complicated thing to work on. And Top Rank has a longstanding and very close relationship with Egis Klimas, who was the manager for Alexander Usyk, who also was the manager, uh, you know, for Vasily Lomachenko. He managed Alexander Vozik with them for a long time. You know, he's managed several other fighters with Top Rank. They deal with each other all the time. You know, they're working on Lomachenko's upcoming fight. So they, you know, Bob Arum and, and the folks at Top Rank have a, a longstanding uh, relationship with Vegas. And uh, I believe if they, if they put their minds to it, they have no doubt that they can make that fight. And also they wouldn't have to be on the zone. They can make it a straight ESPN event. If that's what they're, if they, uh, if they're up to um, presumably be an ESPN pay-per-view and uh, you know, hopefully they can make the deal. All right. Let's see if we can get that done. Two or three more points, by the way, we now have a sample size of two fights with uh, Usyk and Joshua and while they were good and they were entertaining, they were not Wilder and Fury. The Wilder no. Fury fight last October had multiple knockdowns, high drama, round after round with knockdowns. Is somebody going to get knocked out? Neither well, one of the neither one of the Usyk Joshua fights had a knockdown in any of but, the but twenty-four you talk rounds. About the, yeah. You talk about Fury Wilder three. Yes, you're literally talking about one of the greatest heavyweight title fights in the hundred plus year history you. of the sport. I'm with you. So, so it's you, not fair to compare. I'm just, I mean, I'm just saying that in terms of the drama and what we had, we got to keep it in perspective. Sometimes we are prisoners of the moment. Oh, what a great fight. What a, let's keep in perspective what we had last October that was very intriguing and it had multiple knockdowns and anything could have happened. We didn't have any knockdowns again in this fight. So I mean, Joshua and Usyk, uh, the, the second, well, not the first fight or the second fight, neither one of them is the fight of the year. Not going to be even a candidate for the year, but it was a highly entertaining fight. If you're yes. a boxing fan, not there was drama. There was not tension. saying it wasn't. All right, you know the other. But, thing. but the other fight that you mentioned with Fury and Wilder, the third fight in particular, that's like a phenomenal. That's like when you see that, you're like, I just saw not just the fight of the year. It turned out to be the fight of the you know of the year that year. Uh, going to probably be like a contender for fight of the decade, and it's it's one of the. I put it like this. I'll put it in perspective, TJ. I've been covering boxing a little over 22 years. And I have now three heavyweight fights that I've covered for, and thankfully I've been at all three of them that are in the pantheon of great heavyweight fights. Lennox Lewis against Vitaly Klitschko, the first, you know, when they fought back in what was Lennox Lewis's final bout of his career. Great fight. Uh, Eclipse many years later, 15 years or so later, 13 years or so later, I was in Wembley stadium in London when uh, Anthony Joshua had that great battle and scored a knockout in a title defense against Vladimir Klitschko, which turned out to be his last fight of his career. And, I was also there uh, in Las Vegas uh, for the third fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And that eclipsed those two. And those three fights spread out, spread out over about 20 years. That's how rare those are. That there's you can How many heavyweight fights are there over a 20-year period? Oh, sure. and, and how many heavyweight title bouts are there over a 20-year period? But those three are the class. And so if Fury and Joshua wasn't on that list, that's... Nothing to be ashamed of. They turned in a hell of a, a hell of Usyk a fight. Usyk and Joshua. Usyk and Joshua. And then Usyk right. and Joshua. They yes. turned in a hell so, of a fight. So, yes, I agree with you on that. One more, and, and then we're going to get to the rest of the card. Why in the world were uh, were the DAZN announcers not at the fight? Why? I mean, it became obvious to me because they were a little slow to pick up on things. And I even shot you a quick text message when I was getting ready to head to work the Buccaneer preseason game again for radio work um, in Nashville, Tennessee. On They're, they're not there. They're in a studio. For that, that is big of a of a bit of a fight, and, and we're not blaming. So that we're clear, we're not blaming Corey Erdman. We're not blaming Chris Mannix and Chris Algieri who were on the call. But I mean, if you want another indication that Eddie Hearn doesn't care about what goes on in the United States or not go on well, in the United out. States, hold on, 
That is not Eddie Hearn's fault. I'm not bl- you can blame Eddie Hearn for a lot of things, but he does not make the production decisions of the zone. If you're so, the promoter and you've got no, this no, you're wrong. Hold on. Okay, hold on. If, Just hold trust on. me when I tell you this. Hold on. You're wrong, let, listen to me. You're listen wrong. to me. Hear me out on this. If you are the promoter of this fight, which Eddie Hearn is the promoter of he, Joshua. He really wasn't the promoter of the fight. I, I know he sold the, the right. He was the guy behind it. He was the guy in the ring after this thing was over, giving interviews. He's always at the forefront of these fights. You want to sell this thing to America as well as the as Europe and the UK, and it's not going to be as good sitting in a studio. He okay. could have stood up. He could have stood up and said, let's get these guys there. Whatever the expense is, let's get them there and get them back if he cared enough to have that happen. Okay, at the end of the day, it's not his decision. So I don't know if he went to battle on that or not. I okay, can't say. That's fair. But again, it's not his call. You know, the fellows that were in the studio, I'm told it was in Miami. They did a very good job. And, and I'm going to tell you this from experience. I spent two years, and Chris was part of our team, doing as uh, I was the analyst on the fights that we did on Epics. And we did most of the fights that we called from a studio in New York City. And while it works and it fit the budget and the timing was good, and we had a lot of good fights on those shows many heavyweight championship fights from, from Germany with Klitschko uh, and his brother, the other Klitschko. The point is, it is more difficult to do a fight on a monitor when you're not there feeling Absolutely. the crowd. So those guys did a good job. But again, you're right. The zone for the billions of dollars they have spent down the rabbit hole on a lot of different things, for all the money they've poured into boxing on stuff that's stunk, the fact that they wouldn't foot a bill for, I don't know, to send – you know, a handful of people. To, I mean, they didn't have to produce the feed. That was coming That's from right. people that were there already hired. So you can do, and I did this with Epics, where you go and you have sort of a skeleton crew on the ground because uh, you're taking the feed from somebody else. You can do that kind of show. You might need to send half a dozen, maybe eight people to take care of that. Example, when ESPN sent Joe Tessitore, Tim Bradley, Mark Kriegel to Australia for the Cambosis uh Haney fight in Australia it was the Australian production the Australian pay-per-view yes. with ESPN piggybacking off of it the skeleton crew <clears throat> like you're talking about and by the way one more point while you're so let me just get back to one thing they they probably could have sent the people and done it on the ground in Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and I don't know the exact dollar figure but I would be willing to wager you it's under a hundred thousand dollars oh easily that. Easily to get their people there and take part in the feed. I mean, you got hotels and food and transportation. Yes, yes. And it may be eight or ten people or whatever it is, but have them there. All right. One more point while you're swatting me and I'm swatting back. When Joshua fought Andy Ruiz, Eddie Hearn did the deal. They did a site fee. They did all of it, but they had the DAZN announcers there. That was New York City. No, no, no. I'm talking about the Saudi Arabia rematch. Oh, the rematch. They were there in person for that fight. He saw to it on that. And I think they just – they. It loses something when they're not there on that big of a fight. And to me, that's a swing and a miss. That's a swing I totally, and a miss. I, that, that, I agree with you. It is definitely a swing and a miss. And the zone, frankly. You're blaming uh, you're more the zone than Eddie Hearn is what you're saying. 100%. Your, your, your blame of Eddie. Look, you can blame Eddie Hearn for a lot of stuff. Fair enough. But not having the announcers because of the zone is not one of them. So if anybody from the zone is listening, you struck out by not having your uh, very capable crew on the ground in Saudi Arabia to deliver this fight. Because by the way, TJ, it wasn't just like it was for the American audience. Those guys call was going around the world. Now, some countries may have had their own people in studios mm-hmm. because of a language difference, but by and large, that was the group of guys English that was doing speaking. that fight. English speaking. The that's, English the, English. that's what you got. 
probably outside you know, of the UK. Countries. Outside of the UK, right? Right. Yeah. So I thought that was a bad job. I mean, all right. I'm, I'm glad they got the fight. I'm glad it wasn't pay per view, but it was a poor job of not having their folks on the on the scene. I'm not trying to slow you down on purpose. Rest of the card, Hergovich gets the win. A crazy fight. He took a lot of punishment from Zhang. Uh, your thoughts real quick on that. And also the Callum Smith knockout win as a light heavyweight. Now real quick to wrap that card up, go. Well, I thought that the, the Hergovich and Zong fight was terrific. I mean, it wasn't like fought at a fast, fast pace, but it was brutal. I was tweeting about that was as punishing and grueling and grinding of a heavyweight fight as I've seen in a long time, guys with just tremendous reservoirs of will and desire and heart and chin. Uh, it was a really good fight. Very close. Uh, Hergovich pulled out a very close decision, 115-112 uh, on two cards, 114-113 on the other card. Some people said they thought that, uh, that Zhang won the fight. Uh, you know, frankly, it probably could have gone either way. I didn't have a problem with Hergovich winning. I kind of thought he did edge it out because he came on uh, pretty strong in the second half of the fight. You know, he took some punishment, got knocked down in the first half of the fight. Um, but it was a great fight. I mean, as far as just if you want to see two heavyweights just rumbling, that was a rumble, man. And uh, it's the kind of fight where Hergovich, uh, he's now the IBF mandatory, and he earned it the hard way with a really rugged, hard fight. It's the biggest mm. fight of his career against the mm. best opponent of his career, but that was a well-fought, hard-earned victory. In your mind, is he championship material? I know he went through the death of his father. This was the first fight after that. How focused are you? You had adversity in the ring. He got the win. Does Hergovich look like championship material for you? Does he look like a guy that could beat Usyk on his best day or maybe somehow beat Fury on his best day? Does he look like championship material to you? What's I mean, your... he, would def he would be definitely the underdog in both of those fights, in my opinion. Uh, but sometimes when you win a world title, it's about who do you fight? Mm -hmm. uh, so if there, you know, there have been times where there's been maybe guys who are not as, I mean, we're in a weird time right now. You have two guys with heavyweight titles who are both hall of famers who are still fighting in their primes essentially. Uh, so it's hard to do that. Now, if he's, if Hergovich is fighting, you know, uh, you know, Pinklin Thomas, you know, in 19, in 1985 <laughs> or whatever, you know, maybe he gets to win. Terrible I'm not knocking Tim Pinklin Witherspoon. Yes, yes. You know, but you know, exactly. Or he's fighting, even go back. He's fighting, uh, you know, Sergey Lyakovich or he's fighting, you know, a Lehman Brewster, you know, guys who are good heavyweights, but they're getting in the Hall of Fame with the ticket. So it's who you match up with. So if the titles change hands in some fashion before he might get the opportunity or maybe he comes up against somebody for a vacant title, you know, you know, Charles Martin is the guy that Anthony Joshua got the fight for his first heavyweight title. That was uh, it turned out to be like shooting a fish in a barrel. So, you Deontay know, I believe Wilder her fought remains to Vern. And handled well, him. Well, Stavern was round. actually right. at that time. Stavern was an undefeated guy. Who, but he, you know, but how, he handled him. He handled he him. He did. Yeah. Yes. But I would say this as it relates to Hergovich. I do think he's got the pedigree and and the and as you say that he is championship material, just not necessarily against All you right. know uh, the 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 guys like uh, Fury or Usyk. But it was a good solid fight in terms of the Callum Smith fight. Yep. You know, he knocked out uh, Matthew uh, Batterleaf, a French fighter, the European champion. Only had one defeat. He dusted him in four rounds. He looked really good. He went back to Jeddah, which is where he won the super middleweight title a few years ago against George Groves in the World Boxing Super Series final. So he's got two big wins in that same place uh, in uh, in Jeddah. And he's now the mandatory for one of the mandatories for Arthur Betterbeev. It won't be next because, as everybody knows, Betterbeev is uh, supposed to be fighting his next fight against Anthony Yardy, who's his WBO mandatory. He's got um, uh, that fight's going to be delayed from the end of this year because of a minor knee surgery that I reported about a few days ago. Uh, so that will take place in the early part of 2023. And then uh, it depends on if he can get a unification for the full title with the Bivol Zerto winner. But the point is Callum 
Smith won't get a title shot in his next fight. Eddie Hearn said he'd like to have him back in the ring by the end of the year. If Joshua were to have another fight at the end of this year, it wouldn't shock me if Calvin Smith was on that undercard to stay busy. But the main thing is he'll get he's going to get the opportunity. It's just a matter of when and who's holding that title. But if it's against Better Bia, that's an interesting fight, but a tough fight for Calvin Smith. But he looked he looked strong. He looked good at the weight. It's the second fight at light heavyweight. And, uh, you know, he's the best of the Smith brothers. They have all their brothers all fought. Him, Liam is still going strong. George, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, I forget all that. There's there's a bunch of them. Uh, and they, they've all fought in different uh, in different weight classes. They all held like British titles at the same time. So they're they're good. Uh, Paul Smith was the one I was thinking of who was right. there in his brother's corner. Fought Andre Ward at the end of his career. Did not do so well in that fight. But other than that, had a heck of a good career. Um, and the other fight on the card that was uh, below that was a really good fight, a cruiserweight fight between Badu Jack, who used to be uh, a title holder at cruiserweight and super middleweight. He fought Richie, uh, Popeye, the seller man, Rivera uh, from Connecticut. They put on a hell of a fight, man. That was a close, good fight. Uh, Badu Jack, you know, he did uh, eke out a split decision. But the crazy thing about that fight was that one of the rounds, they the, the timekeeper screwed up and it was a four minute round, three mm. minutes and 58 seconds, which is not acceptable. Now, right. as I've been talking to Joe DeGuardia, who was the promoter for Rivera, who was very pissed off about the extra round, because as a matter of fact, that was that that round was and the extra minute was really when Jack did a lot of damage. And frankly, may have he won that round so decisively that may have been why he ended up taking the, the split decision. But my point was, it's a shitty uh, situation. It shouldn't happen. Whoever was a timekeeper should be suspended, fired, whatever, no doubt about it. But in the end, neither guy is at an advantage because they both have to fight the extra 58 seconds. It wasn't like Jack got to fight 58 seconds, you know, free and clear and Rivera had his hands tied behind his back. So they both had the opportunity to do whatever damage they could do in that final 58 seconds. It turned out to be Jack. It's unfortunate. I remember an issue like that happened several years ago on a fight between, uh, uh, Triple G and Daniel Gale that took place at Madison Square Garden, where one of the rounds was uh, also a four-minute round, and in the end, Triple G got the knockout. And the and the commission in New York, uh, back when uh, David Berlin was the executive director, those those two timekeepers, the the main timekeeper and the backup timekeeper, they were they were both suspended, and uh, as they should have been. And uh, I, I know you love me for this, and then we're going to move on. You go way back in the nostalgia because I know this name and I know that it happened. Speaking of Pink Lawn Thomas, speaking <laughs> of terrible Tim Witherspoon, I'm going to go Greg Page and a knockout of Jerry Coatsia of yep. South Africa with a four minute round. That was a, good a knockout, yes. I believe, in the four minute round. He knocked him out in the extra minute of that round, and they didn't realize it until well after everything oh, was over. Oh, go back say, in the nostalgia. DJ. How about that? You got one job. You got one the job. Timekeeper. Count to 60 three times. Have it ain't that hard. Have the stopwatch. It ain't watch. that hard. So have the, have that's the a really bad All mistake. Right. Okay, so that wraps up our conversation on that. Let's move on in uh, into San Diego. ESPN top rank show. Emmanuel Navarrete uh, ends up winning his WBO featherweight title, and I love this analogy. Unlike uh, baseball, where there's not a nine-run home run, unlike football where there's not a three touchdown touchdown in the final minute if you need it or in basketball a 12 point shot instead of a three point shot when you need it there is one punch in boxing and you can be losing as Navarrete was throughout the fight to Eduardo Baez and you land the one punch and that's boxing right how well did I sum up what we saw in San Diego what do you think absolutely I mean you know the only thing was there was still half a fight left to go yeah. so he certainly could have turned it around if he needed the points 
Uh, but you're right. I mean, boxing and any combat sport, uh, MMA, whatever, is the only sport where you can be losing by a massive margin and you can still win at the last moment. Well, as you mentioned, you can't hit a walk-off home run that's worth five runs in baseball. So in the case of Navarrete, he was basically losing handily against uh, uh, Eduardo Baez. He looked bad, if you ask me. Um, the commentators talked about it. He'd been off for 10 months. He had a very difficult time with the weight cut. Um, he admitted did you hear that he, Timothy you know, Bradley say that he put on 40 pounds? 40 pounds. So he what had a hard up? time with that. And, you know, you can't keep doing that. As he said, him and Andre Ward made the good point that, you know, you can do that at certain points in your career, maybe when you're in your 20s and you go to step on the gas and you can find that gear when the fight happens. But there's going to come a time where if you don't do it the right way, you're going to step on that gas and you're not going to get anything from that engine and you're in big trouble. Now, it's, it's as it turned out, just as he was, as Bernardo Osuna, the reporter on the, on the telecast, was reporting that the corner of Navarrete, which is run by his uncle Pedro and his cousin Pedro Jr., were saying you need, you know, they were showing urgency. They knew the fight was getting away from them, even though they're only going into round six of a 12-round fight. You really need to do a better job. You really need to pick up the pace because Baez was outboxing him, outpunching yep. him, you know, taking the good shots, standing in there, you know, was not in any way fearful or, or problem with these guys, uh, what, what he was uh, doing to him. And just as Bernardo was saying that, boom, left hook to the liver and out. That's all she wrote. And that's all it takes. One shot. And uh, thank you, Emmanuel Everett. Give me the under on the, on the BetUS bet. I know. You, you had a big weekend on BetUS. What were you, six and two? And I was like one for. So Dan is rolling on the BetUS show. And, and I look. just missed the, the, the seven and one on, uh, on the uh, over-under on the main event on Showtime uh, between Figueroa and, uh, and Lipinets. Uh, between Figueroa and, and Lipinets. Yeah. But anyway, but as far as Neverett goes, you know, I don't think he's long for the featherweight division. I think that uh, when he thinks about it and he works it out, I really believe that in his next fight, he'll probably move up at the most one more fight at featherweight. And when he gets to junior lightweight, TJ, the fight that Bob Aram wanted to make at featherweight is going to be there for him. Him against Oscar Valdez is a sensational fight. Um, they could put him with Shakur Stevenson, the unified champion. Real quick opinion from you. How much was his difficulty hitting Baez, whatever the problems he had, or how much do we credit Baez for being elusive, good head movement? Because clearly, Navarrete was having trouble hitting him. So what do you yeah, attribute? I mean, both? What do you attribute? I, I, most of the time in boxing, it's a little bit of each. I mean, Baez certainly has to get credit for coming well-prepared. Uh, and having a good game plan, you know, unfortunately for him, he just got caught with the perfect shot to the body. And, you know, a lot of guys are not going to recover from that, but he did a good job in Navarrete, you know, obviously had his own problems and he was able to, to turn it around. But the one, the thing that was just mind boggling about the fight is, you know, as I mentioned, this was a, a one-sided fight, you know, one judge had uh, Baez ahead, had won all five rounds. Uh, that was Zachary Young, Jack Reese had, had Baez up by one point, which was reasonable, I thought, but Pat Russell, a nice guy, was a great ref for a long time, has been a pretty good judge for many years. I don't know what he was looking at. He had Navarrete up by by three points, 49-46. He actually gave Baez only one round, which is <laughs> – Out of the first five. I mean, That's that makes criminal. me think – I'm not even That's joking criminal. when I say this. I'm not joking when I say this. I'm being 100% serious. I almost feel like when I see that score, that Pat Russell confused which fighter he was scoring the fight for, that maybe he thought that – Navarrete was Baez. And, the, and I've seen that happen before. Look at the right column. Look at the left uh, listen, column. I'm red just corner, saying. blue corner, and make sure it's the right one, for God's that, that's sake. That's the only thing I can think of. There's no possible way. Yeah. No possible way. You can watch that fight with one eye. 
There's no way that you could give Navarrete f- you know, four out of those five reps. I am sorry about that. But in that. the end, he landed the big body shot. One punch. He gets to win, and we'll see what happens after that. Quickly, rest of the top-ranked card, yeah. what you saw. Recap it. Dan, go. Well, the feature was uh, Giovanni Santiano, uh, an undefeated welterweight who was from San Diego, so he was there, uh, presumably sold some tickets and helped uh, you know, bring in that crowd in his hometown. He fought uh, another uh, another undefeated fighter, Julio Luna, uh, Look, they, they they may not either one of those guys is maybe at the contender level just yet, but they put on a really good, exciting, highly entertaining fight. And in the end, Santioni won the decision. Um, you know, I, I feel bad for Luna because while one judge again, the judging is so much of a controversy. Feels like every single week. You know, Robert Hoyle, who was a good judge, he had a six four fight, seemed perfectly reasonable for Santione. The other two judges, I'm sorry to say, had a shutout for Santione, which is insanity. Um, you know, particularly there was one round, I think it was the fourth round where, you know, Santion was almost out on his feet. We got nailed with an uppercut and, 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 and Luna poured it on, uh, the right guy won. The scores were bad, but it was a good fight. I'd like to see Luna fight again. I'd like to see Santion fight again. I wouldn't be, uh, at all upset if top rank decided to maybe make a rematch. Uh, but so Santion moves on and, you know, Luna didn't disgrace himself in a loss. He deserved better than that. And then the other fight, uh, on the opener fight on the, on the broadcast, you had to, uh, the grandson of uh, Muhammad Ali, Nico Ali Walsh, uh, fighting in the same building where his father fought. Ken Norton in that uh, job, in the broken jaw fight back in the early 70s, scored a, a brilliant second round knockout on a body shot, looked good. You know, say what you want. He's never going to be his grandfather, but the kid's getting better. I believe right. that. Watch all of his six fights. And uh, he's he works hard by all accounts. He's a nice kid. I've talked to him, interviewed him. You know, he's very personable. Uh, but in the in the ring, you know, he goes there, he does what is asked of him. Uh, I don't like the fact that he was working with his third trainer in six fights. He's now working with Kei Karoma, who was a good trainer also. But before that, he had been with other trainers. Uh, so I'm not really sure what the story is about that. Uh, but he looked good. But I have to say also, by the way, it was not on the ESPN broadcast, but on ESPN Plus where they show all the preliminary fights. There was a fight, uh, junior welterweight fight, between Lindolfo Delgado from Mexico, who was an undefeated mm-hmm. prospect, against a guy named Omar Aguilar, also an undefeated fighter. And they had an eight-round fight that was an absolute war. It should be like a fight of the year type, you know, a runner, you know, a candidate, you know, contender, however you want to say it. In the end, Delgado won uh, the unanimous decision. But just, a, you know, if, if you got ESPN Plus, do some favor and, and go watch go. it. You can go rewatch that because it's available yeah. on ESPN Plus Good for fight. a little while to go back and, and check that out uh, through the app. few minutes left on the Fight Freaks Unite recap. Showtime card. Man, it was busy this weekend. The Showtime PBC card headlined by Sergey Lipinets. Again, I bow to you. I'm kissing up to you. I bow to you. You were a thousand percent right. Lipinets, bad matchup. Omar Figueroa didn't have anything. It, it was obvious he came out in the first round and was very active and aggressive. But after that, he was taking big shot after big shot, a lot of punishment. And it was just a matter of time. Lipinets is either going to stop him or win a lopsided decision. And finally, Omar Figueroa Sr. had seen enough and stopped the fight in between rounds with Lipinets dominating. That was the main event. What about Lipinets' performance? And what about the rest of that card real quick? Well, my only quarrel is I would have liked to see it go another 90 seconds so I could cash the over. But besides that. <laughs> Selfishly, Rayfield wanted to be 7-1 <laughs> on the Bet US show, even if Omar Figueroa Jr. had to take 57 more punches in those Listen, 97 Omar, seconds. It was bad. It was Omar bad. Figueroa, I, again, I'm not one to say, you know, you need to retire, but Omar really should really think so, about. So can I draw one parallel? All right, so we got Anthony Joshua and all the tears and all the pressure and all the money. We're going back to that. He is set forever with hundreds of millions of dollars. 
I felt bad sitting there in my Nashville hotel room just real quick watching the aftermath because Omar Figueroa is done. You saw the corner men crying with him. Uh, his family's upset. He's done. And he He's doesn't done. have tens of millions of dollars. So that was a much tougher moment for Omar Figueroa because it's yeah, obvious sure. this is very dangerous and he doesn't need to be doing it anymore. Omar Omar had a good run. He was a good fighter. He made a lot of exciting fights. Um you know, in, in the buildup, he talked a lot about his own mental health issues. You know, yep. I did that interview with that. We played yep. on the podcast last week. He's a, he's kind of a tortured soul. You know, I feel bad for him. I hope he can deal with this. Um, I found it to be bittersweet. The fact that he got his ass kicked in what I hope is his final boxing match uh, that came only hours after uh, the birth of one of his children. Um, so that's, again, it's one of the happiest moments of your life, but also uh, sure. what happened at the end of your career, possibly one of the saddest. Um Lipinets, you know, he took the fight on short notice, but was already on the undercard preparing, knowing, knowing that he'd be pressed into service for the main event if something happened. When Broner dropped out, he, of course, embraced the fight. Uh, Figueroa was not happy about having to switch opponents, so you could tell that in the interview that we did on the podcast. He fought Lipinets anyway. Uh, I thought, even though they were both coming off losses, Lipinets in particular off a knockout to Jerron Ennis in a really tough uh, uh, a loss for him and a very, you know, he just got demolished in that fight. But I still felt like he had way more left in the tank and Omar Figueroa, he's a bigger fighter naturally, um, hasn't taken the kind of punishment that Figueroa has taken. I just felt like that was, you know, I would have given Figueroa a better right. chance against Broner. Lipinets, right. I just felt like he was going to overpower him. That's what happened. The amount of strong, powerful, clean right hands that Lipinets hit Figueroa with it should almost be illegal because that's how brutal it was. And I was glad the father stopped the fight. Um, you know, tip of the hat to uh, Omar Figueroa. He had a good career, but he's lost three in a row now. And all three losses were one-sided uh, beatdowns, essentially. And, uh, you know, for Lipinets, he, he finds another day. He's back at 140, which is where he should have been. The, the Jerron Ennis fight was at 147. And at 140, Lipinets can still be a factor in this weight class. So it's a good and victory for him. He'll get a good PBC payday and fight yeah, now sure. out of this, yes. out of that win. Maybe he so. gets a chance to fight against Adrian Broner, you know what I mean, and when Broner comes back if they do that. But the point is uh, – that was the crossroads type of fight. If Lipinets had lost, he'd have been in big trouble going forward. For 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 Omar Figueroa, it was a much more needed victory. He didn't get it, and uh, I feel like he's probably done at this point. And Lipinets will move on and, and uh, get himself another fight. He, they, he makes good fights, and he's a uh, he's a good fighter. I know we got to move on here in just a second and be done with this. Albert Pueyo gets the win on the undercard, and again another controversial oh, decision. The scoring the was just doing. a wreck. All right, give me your thoughts quickly. Well, I believe I did tell you on our Bet US show, maybe it was on the podcast, where I felt like that was the fight that could steal the show. I feel mm -hmm. like that was correct about that. That was a really good fight, highly entertaining, highly competitive. Uh, the fact that two judges found it to be 117-111 for Alberto Pollo, I have an issue with that. Uh, that was kind of shocking, especially when the other judge uh, gave it to Akhmadov, uh, making it a split decision. Uh, but a really good fight. I had no problem with Pollo getting the victory. Uh, I don't know if he deserved it by that kind of margin, but again, he wins the vacant WBA junior welterweight title that was vacated uh, when Josh Taylor saw his uh, undisputed title start to splinter. And now Poyo is, uh, is uh, undefeated still. He's in business in a, in a pretty good weight class, even without uh, Taylor as undisputed. Um, and maybe, he'll move on. And it was, maybe Poyo Lipinets? Maybe? I mean, not out of the, yeah, I mean, look, they've got a lot Both of good PBC? fighters at 140. Yeah, not, not out of the, I, didn't, I hadn't thought about that because I hadn't really spent right. a lot of time thinking about that fight, but I mean, I can see that. I don't know if they would want to do it in his first defense, but it's certainly not out of the realm. Lipinets is a former champion of that weight class, used to have the IBF title. Mm -hmm. um, 
But look, it was a it was a big win, uh, not only for Apoyo, but we'll talk about in the in the in the fight before that. You had Hector Garcia, who knocked off uh, Roger Gutierrez by unanimous decision to take his WBA junior lightweight title. So for Dominican boxing, yep. being that Pollo and Garcia are both Dominican, for them to have two guys on the same card win world titles, Pollo being the first ever guy in that weight class from the Dominican to win a title at 140, that's a big, big night for Dominican Republic boxing. Uh, uh, and they both fought well. They've Garcia, never had a night like that. Two Dominican no. world champions in the same night, same same card as it turns out too. So and and listen, I, I thought, I, I mean, I didn't get the official pick because we didn't do it on the Bet US show, but I know one of our viewers asked my thoughts. I said Garcia. I picked him in that fight also. Yep. Um, it showed me, and I, I thought this when I saw the fight between him and Chris Colbert, that he's not just a flash in the pan. It wasn't a lucky win, that he really is a good fighter, and he was able to carry over the momentum and, and continue to show what he showed against Colbert in the upset. He did the same thing against Gutierrez, and uh, you know, kudos to him. It's got some fresh blood now at 140, some fresh blood now at 130, and, uh, and it's partly thanks to Alberto Pollo and uh, Hector Garcia, who both scored nice wins, and you know, we'll see them again. And in closing, Brandon Lee knocked down early, but showed some resolve and got the win. He needs to be in there with better competition, but he's clearly on the rise and somebody they're marketing and trying to feature, but he's now got to do it against better competition real quick, right? That's me saying that, right? Yeah, I mean, Will Madera came to fight. He was definitely the best opponent that Brandon has faced so far. He showed it. He scored the knockdown. I mean, it was otherwise a fairly one-sided fight in terms mm -hmm. of scoring, but the knockdown, if you saw it, it was a heavy knockdown, a big right hand. So a couple things. One, you know, I, I, you never, if you're, when you're that kind of young prospect, it's, you really got to do something about your defense. If you're getting hit that clean with that kind of right hand, you shouldn't be getting hit with that kind. Of, I mean, you're going to get hit with right hands, not that big of a bomb. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing is at least now that you've gotten hit with that big bomb and been on the floor, you've shown yourself, your team, the viewers, the, the, the network folks, all the people, your management, that you are a real fighter because he got off the deck. Yep. It was a hard, hard knockdown. A lot of guys would have been out with that punch. But Brandon Lee showed resolve, showed heart, showed that youthful will, got off the floor, shook it off, came back and continued to uh, do his thing and won the fight. So it's good news, bad news, but mostly good news because in the end he got the win. And you know what? Maybe some guys will be willing to fight him now because he showed some element of vulnerability by getting dropped with that kind of punch. And for Will Madera, you know, he's got nothing to be ashamed of. He, he came in as the big underdog. He dropped the, the rising star, and that's the kind of uh, moment in the fight that even without a victory will help him score uh, some other fights to get the opportunity against other guys. So uh, all in all, a good Showtime card. Brandon Lee showing what we want to see, what happens when he shows, when he's in there with a little uh, um, adversity. Number one, uh, the changing of the guard with two titles, uh, changing hands or won a vacant title. And then, of course, the main event where we saw the crossroads and a, a really good performance from Lipinets who gets back on track and you know unfortunately probably brings down the the curtain on a, on a good career from omar figaro so tj hell wow. of a weekend man hell of full a weekend of boxing. full show a lot of great fights and again Usyk and joshua and Usyk deserves all the credit in the world for uh, once again validating that win back last september with another victory here and it looks like fury would be next if he wants it mega mega undisputed heavyweight title fight that will be coming up. All right, so we're good for this edition, Dan. We look forward to the Big Fight Weekend preview later on in the week. We've got an ESPN top-ranked card in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You already mentioned uh, Sniper Pedraza and Richard Comey is the main event. Uh, Jared, real big baby Anderson, the heavyweights in action on that. We'll be previewing that later in the week. We'll be writing about it on BigFightWeekend.com, your Substack Fight Freaks Unite. My friend, always good to be with you on the recap mode coming off the weekend with all this activity. Thank you, Dan Rayfield. 
You bet. Let's have a good week. And we thank you for being with us again. Follow or subscribe on this podcast feed for the Fight Freaks Unite recap coming off the weekend. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us again. You've been listening to the Fight Freaks Unite recap. Bye.